You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Um, We'll let you be seated tonight for the reading of the word because if you're standing, you'll be standing all night along with me. So, and I have a little ring in the monitor up here. I don't know if you guys can hear that back there, but... um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. So thank you for being here on midweek uh, Bible study. We're in our series, The Wisdom of God, uh, a series that walks through 1 Corinthians. And I have fallen in love with this book in the New Testament more than ever by going through here. This has helped me. It's strengthened me. It's encouraged me. It's edified me. Uh, it's given me clarity and some things and, and directions. And so I hope that you're enjoying this as much as I am. We have taken an unequal amount of time the last few weeks, couple of weeks, to cover chapter 11, verses 12 through uh, verse number uh, 16, or chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. Sorry, chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. And we have talked about what in our outline, I believe the point was on uh, hair distinctives according to our outline. And so we've given an unequal balance of time to this. Normally we would have walked through this in a week or maybe a, a, a couple passages here, but we've slowed down here to deal with the issue. And so tonight we're going to wrap that up and uh, I'll try not to keep you too long this evening um, because I want, I want to get to the next part. I'm anxious to get to the next part of chapter 11, which too often when we talk about chapter 11, a lot of times people think of just the first passage and they neglect focusing on the latter part of the passage, which talks about the Lord's Supper, partaking in the Lord's Supper, what we would call communion, and uh, their attitude and their spirit and their approach to that, how Paul was ashamed of them. This is basically you're making it of no effect, and actually you're doing spiritual damage to, you're doing eternal spiritual damage to your soul when you don't get these things right and in place. And I find it interesting that he puts this, these two things together. Uh, now, I don't, I don't think uh, they, they are, um, it's not a congruent line, but it's the spirit, it's the attitude that here he's dealing with this questions concerning public worshiping. He's talking about our spirit, he's talking about our attitude, and at the first, he's talking about headship, understanding our divine order, created order, and how we were created, made in the image of God, male and female, what that represents, not being ashamed of that, not being in rebellion of that, but worshiping God through that, honoring God in that, and having that right, it's so important. And then next, he's going to segue into this part about taking the Lord's Supper, partaking in the Lord's Supper, what we now call communion, and how if our attitude and our spirit isn't right in that, it is, uh, he used the word damnable to our soul, that if our spirit is wrong and our attitude is wrong, we're just callously, uh, you know, disregarding this, that we actually are living in a posture that will bring uh, damnation to our soul, where we're not walking after the things of God and submitting to the things of God. We're just doing it our way. We're doing whatever. And it's interesting that he puts these two together. Because, and, and he starts with this, this what we call hair distinctives, but really that's, I really don't like that point in the outline, but I'm just following through uh, the subtitles here in my Bible. Because, uh, as I said, I think we put the emphasis and the focus in this first portion on hair, and we miss the bigger thing. The bigger thing is about our creative order. And, and from that comes the issue of headship, and, and as, as we talked about at length last week. And I won't, I won't rehash all of that. So if you have missed the last two weeks, and even if you're online and you've missed the last two weeks, you really need to go back and you really need to get that to help understand some of the things that we're talking about and referencing today, because you won't have the context uh, to really understand. And I, I'm not going to rehash all of that. But I will give you some a quick recap here. And I was talking about the, the, the communion, and it's interesting that with the force of 
their incorrect attitude, Paul says, look, if you don't do this right, you're drinking damnation unto your soul. That's a pretty strong statement he's saying. That it's sort of this same thing he's saying here with the first chapter, that we've got to have this right. And we're going to begin at verse number 10 tonight, which is, is probably one of the most Well, some scholars say it's one of the most difficult passages in Scripture to interpret. And so we're going to address this because in in verse 10 of chapter 11, he says, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. And a lot of people have absolutely no clue what he's talking about here. And so they just totally dismiss it and don't even give any time to it. Other people add to what, well, this is what they think it means, and so they add to it, and they make it mean something that it doesn't mean. And, and, and what I want to do tonight is to come to the Word reverently with respect, because I don't want to discard it, but I also don't want to add to what it's not saying something to the same, to the same effect of, of making it useless in our life. And so I think this is important, but it is interesting here that he talks about angels. There's something powerful here where he connects all of this understanding that we've been talking about for the last two weeks and how we live our life, and especially with regard to our public worship before God, and not only before God, but before one another. He connects the physical with the spiritual so that that we understand that everything I do on this earth matters. Every disposition, every posture, every body language, every attitude that I have matters. So don't ever take a part of your life, don't, don't take a part of your life and think, well, well, God doesn't care about this. No, because God does care about everything that you're doing in your life. So this is, this, is a, this is an important thing. So let's pray here tonight. Let's ask God to help us for the next couple of minutes, uh, uh, open our eyes and our ears, and, and, and just to have a right spirit tonight when we approach the Word. Would you pray with me right now where you're seated? Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you tonight for your Word. I thank you that we can come into your house tonight. Thank you for, God, the body of Christ that gathers together in, in unity and fellowship. And I ask tonight that your Word would have free course, God, that as we go through here, let our spirits and our hearts and our mind be open to the word of God. Teach me and show me, God, the paths of life. And Lord, we thank you tonight and we give you glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. So real quick, the recap here, the main point that we've been talking about here of this passage is, we don't want to miss this, is the divine series as we called it. God, then Christ, then man, then woman the created order that God gave to us, and how when we come in corporate worship, we must be in submission to that creative order. We must understand who we are and why we are. The central reason for the apostles' discourse here is the order of creation manifested in worship. If I am rebelling in any way to the way God created me, how is there any edification Uh, in the worship that I have as I come together. The main takeaway, that's the main point, but the main takeaway of this then is that our heads, physical heads, represent the headship held responsible over us, that we're commissioned with the responsibility over us. Paul talks about this, God, then Christ. Christ was commissioned. He is commissioned by God, the only begotten of the Father. Don't be afraid of that language. Christ is the Messiah. He is the manifestation of the invisible God, the invisible God made visible. And Christ is commissioned. He came with a purpose. He came with a commission to love us to the point of death, to die for us, to give himself for us a ransom. Amen. That's why in the garden he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thy will be done. The manifested Christ, the human being, the, the God incarnate, God in flesh, submitted, even though he was attempted in all points like as we were. He felt uh, uh, all of those temptations, his flesh, he submitted. He came in obedience, Philippians said. He obeyed. He came in obedience. He humbled himself. And he fulfilled what was put in him, that responsibility over him. So God, then Christ, then man, then woman. And God gave to man a responsibility over woman that God did not give to woman. He did not require the woman to love the man to the point of dying for her. Amen. We talked about that typology, that we are the bride of Christ. We are, he is the bridegroom, we are the bride. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Christ is commissioned as the bridegroom to, to provide and to protect. Amen. To be our protector, to be our provider. We as the bride are not commissioned to protect and provide for Christ. He doesn't need any protection. He doesn't need any provision. Amen. But I am, I am required to live in submission to his mission. And that means that he is to be my provider. He alone is to be my provider. He alone is to be my Lord and my Savior. I don't look for another. I don't go to another. And the same way the woman or the wife is to live in submission to the mission that God has given to man. Amen. And Paul goes on and says, this is not about a subordinate. It is not about a hierarchy. No. He said, because man is of the woman and woman of the man. God created it so that there had to be a working together for humankind to, to uh, propagate, for it to continue. Men and women had to work together. They were equal. Not one, one's not greater than the other. The men could not say, well, we, we, we don't like women. We're just all going to get together. And we're just, we're just going to, you know, we're greater. We're better. No, well, you're going to die out. It's not going to work. Women can't say, no, we're, we're just going to, no, it's not going to work that way. God ordained that it had, had to come together. So equality, amen, in, in value, but distinction in roles. And God gives that to us, and our head represents that. Paul says the head of the man is a representation of Christ because he comes first. He's a representation of Christ. Christ's glory should not be covered. It should be revealed. It should be open. But the woman's head is man. And her head is not to glory and worship. You don't bring, you don't come into worship God corporately and it be all about you. No, it should not be all about man. Everything we do in worship must be direct of glory to God. Amen. And so the way they did this then, it was, it was not only culturally, but it was in obedience to nature. The, the woman's head was covered. The man's head was considered uncovered. And, and the way Paul defines this, we talk about this was with hair. And for a woman, it was her long hair, naturally given to her for a man. It's a shame for him to have long hair. His short hair was, was a symbol of that, reflection of that. Paul walks, we walk through all of that. So now we come to this place, and, and uh, I, I would read to you in the NIV, 1 Corinthians 11 and 6, it says, for if a woman, in the NIV, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her... But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off, presupposing that it is, or her head shaved, presupposing that it is, then she should cover her hair. And he lets it know that what is it to be covered with? Well, it is to be covered with her hair. It is given her for a covering. Uh, 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 Brother Treese translates that same passage in his commentary, for if a woman is not covered, let her hair be cut. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut or shaven, let her be covered. So we talked about this. So Paul goes on and he talks about this natural distinction of hair. And this is, this is sort of a, 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 um, something that, that, that there's, there's a lot of cultural things that would have been implied there. Some, the, we talked about the island of, 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 of Lesbo and, and how women prostitutes at that time would shave their head. Male prostitutes at that time would let their hair grow uh, naturally long. It was a symbol of things. And so Paul is also countering these things, but he rises above culture because he makes the appeal to nature. And, and uh, how long is long? It was the difference between cut and uncut. We talked about all that for the last two weeks. So if you have missed all of that, then you need to go back because we took time to walk through that. And this is a, this couldn't be a confusing or a, 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 a easily misunderstood. And therefore, a lot of people just dismiss this passage 
Because we have to remember, we are a modern Gentile people reading an ancient, uh, more uh, text that was written to people back in a long time ago. So to understand what they're saying and to know all the cultural things and all the things that are going on, maybe we don't understand all that. But the Word of God is clear in some main things. And, and what we do understand, this was, this was the takeaway, what we do understand is so relevant today with all of the gender confusion is what Paul is living in an, in an age where there was massive gender confusion. Paul said it's imperative that when you come to God, you worship God as you are created. Right. Because God does not make mistakes. Amen. If you're a man, don't seek to be, don't, don't think you're underprivileged or seek to be a woman. If you're a woman, don't think to be underprivileged or seek to be a man. No, God created you in his image and God did not make a mistake with you. And you honor God when you come and you worship him as God created you. I am what I am. God, here I am. I worship you. Amen. And we, we take that further. Amen. Not, a, not a, pray at the fundamental, most fundamental thing, how you were created. Amen. You praise God and you worship God in that. Now, we've, we hear a lot. We hear a lot uh, about uh, the value of all people. All men, no, regardless of their race, regardless of their color of skin. And that's right. You don't, if, don't, don't let anyone in the world ever make you ashamed of how God created you. Amen. Amen. At the church, this ought to be a refuge. Amen. Yeah. When people, God didn't make a mistake. Amen. And, and I know this is a, that's a spirit that creeps into our world today. I'll tell you, that's nothing new with mankind. It's always crept in. We're man, uh, uh, cultures and, and people. It, it's, what is it? It's fundamental. It's pride. Yeah. Pride of one person or one city or one family or one culture or one nationality or one ethnicity. Pride says, I'm better than you. Right. Yeah. But in the church, <laughs> There's no glory in the, in the presence of God. It's all about him. Amen. And when I come in, I worship him. So no matter, no matter what your, whatever your created state, you worship God in that state and you praise God. And the most fundamental way here, Paul says, is male or female. And you worship God as that. So, so then we come now to verse number 10. So, is that all right? I'm going to dispense with reading the rest of the passage here. We'll jump right to verse. Let's pick up here at verse number five. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all. One is if she were shaven, for if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Okay, so I know some people say that it was, it's culture, you know, a man, a man should not cover his head, but the, the Jews for throughout all the Old Testament and even today, they still, men still wear a little covering when they go and they pray. So he's not talking about, I don't believe that he's talking about that and that. He's talking about the headship, the natural order of your hair. But a woman is the glory of the man for the man. And then he goes off for the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. So he's talking here. What's he referring to there? He's not talking about a hierarchy. He's not saying one's better than the other. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a divine series, a created order, talking about the roles and the distinctions in male and female and that bond and that, and that required bond for procreation. We are typifying the role we are a typology of, of, of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's why we ought to have healthy marriages in the church. We have to have healthy marriages in the church. That's why before Paul even gets this chapter, he's already talked about healthy marriages. He's already talked about healthy. We have to have healthy marriages in the church because you are a typology. You are a, you are a visible witness. You are an example, amen, to the world and to those around of what that's like. Amen. We have bad and abusive and non-loving marriages. Well, it's a horrible thing then to think of, of being Christ the bridegroom and I'm the bride of Christ. 
When you don't know what a healthy marriage looks like. No, you need to have a healthy marriage there. And so he's saying here, he's talking in this verse, verse 8, about the divine series. He's not talking about one being better than the other. And then he goes in verse 9, he says, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man. So now he's qualifying. Neither is the man without the woman, neither woman without the man in the Lord. This is divinely ordered by God that one can't live without the other. One's not better than the other. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Then he goes on, judging yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, is a shame unto you? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So I'm going to talk about two verses of Scripture here tonight. That's verse 10 and verse 16. We've covered the rest of the verses already. Here, we've already tried to talk about that, and then I'll, I'll, I'll recap some other things. So, verse 10 is an interesting verse. There's two things here that we don't see anywhere else. The words that are translated power and angels. Okay, so this is, this is an interesting thing because Paul brings this concept of angels here into it. So, for this cause, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. A lot of people have no clue what to do with this verse. Thus, a danger exists to make it say something it is not saying. So I want to caution us on verse 10. Okay, on 10, I want to caution you. Be careful not to be too dogmatic here. Now, I, I believe in the absolute uh, uh, truth of Scripture, but a lot of people don't know what this is saying. I'm going to read to you a few different translations. We'll read four different translations. I don't know that they're going to have them back there, and I didn't give them to them. But the first translation I'm going to read, I'm pretty sure they don't have in the computer. It's it, The acronym often is L-I-T-V, but it's also known as Green's Literal Translation or the uh, KJV-3, I think, or KJV-4, 1 Corinthians 11 and 10. He translates this way and says, because of this, the woman ought to have authority on the head because of the angels. The modern English version or MEV says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a veil of authority over her head because of the angels. The ESV says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. The NIV says it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. And the New Living Translation, the loosest translation of these that I'm reading here and on the more loose liberal end of translation says, for this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. So there's several different takeaways here on some things, and I think some of these may be adding some things that are in there because in that original, from all that I understand, and I'm, I'm not a scholar on, on that biblical languages, but from everything I can read in accents, there is no word, meaning veil or hat, in the original text that we can see. It's just left at covering. Some people have taken it that way, and I addressed that last week, and um, why we, that's not an issue of disfellowship. Uh, and you can go back and you can catch that if you need. But I think the takeaway here is that the implication, if we could say this, the implication here is the inference is that a woman ought to wear the symbol of headship in public worship or gathering because... They are not only in the presence of others, but they are also in the presence of angels. Now, there's three things that I want to note with a difficult passage. And I'm taking extra time. This may seem laborious to you, but I, I want to take the time because I want to show you how we handle scriptures that may be difficult to interpret or there's confusion or things. You've got to handle scripture carefully. Don't just take scripture and say, well, this is what I think it means. Anytime somebody sits down to you to give you a Bible and says, well, what I think this means... That always could be a dangerous thing because this is the word of God. It doesn't matter what I think. What is this saying? And I don't want to try to bring any bent or 
uh, even every, everybody approaches the text with a certain culture or mindset or, or context. I don't want to impose my personal context on the scripture. What is the scripture saying? So I give you three things. The first thing I want you to note what it may mean. Okay, so we're going to look at what it may mean, and then we're going to look at what it does not mean. So that's one way I handle scripture. I'll write, I'll write it down. Here's a, here's a problematic scripture. What it may mean, what it could mean, what it does not mean, and you identify that. And then we'll pay special notes, notes, what's going on here. So there's three things that I note, and this is just sort of the way my, my brain's working through. This is Andrew Romine, Pastor Andrew Romine, not anybody else working through this, and so I'm giving this to you. Note, the only time, this is the only time that authority, or the word translated here is authority, uh, or power, if you will, in the KJV. The only time that this word is translated in this passage, and it is translated in relation to the woman's outward sign of submission. So that's an interesting thing to note. There's there's this word translated authority or power, and it's it's the only time it's used, and it's used in relation to the woman specifically, and and the sign or or whatever's happening on the head. It's it's related to that, which is an outward sign of submission to the divine created order that God has put. Now the other note is this is the only time that the angels or heavenly beings is mentioned in this passage. Uh, so what does that, what is, you're bringing angels in, so what does this have to do with anything? Does this refer to spiritual protection? We know they're the agents of the Lord. They were the guardians, amen, of the mercy seat. Or is this an act of obedience and submission somehow plays a role in witness to heavenly beings? So that's something to take into account. And then also we would note that not only is it the only time mentioned in this passage, but there is another mention of angels in the letter. So if we're looking at the whole letter that Paul writes, he does mention angels one other time in the letter. So a good hermeneutic study would dictate that we would go back and we would first consider how is the context of the first mentions of angels used and how does that have, if any, implication to the second mention of how angels are used. Well, the first mention of angels in 1 Corinthians is done so in chapter 6 and verse 3. So go to chapter 6 and verse 3 if they can put that on the screen. And Paul simply is talking about how the way we live in our life matters. And he says, know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life. Now he's dealing with divisions and he's dealing with problems in the church. And Paul says, look, when the church overcomes, when God wraps this whole thing up, when the Lord comes back and we as the bride in Christ, when we're together with him, we that have overcome are going to sit in judgment of angels. They will be held accountable for how they followed or obeyed the Lord. Well, we don't know everything there is to know about angels. Remember my saying, the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. So I would caution you in, in demonology and angelology. I don't even know if that's a word. I just made that up. But in the study of all of that stuff, be careful that you don't add things, amen, to and I think it's, it's good for us to say, we don't understand everything. But there are some things that the Bible does allow us to know. We know that there are angels. We know that Lucifer himself was had a high position, and somehow he fell from that position. And uh, there's implication that those demons that are with him were, were, were maybe fallen angels. There are things that are happening. So there was an order and there was a misstep there. And so we as overcomers in Christ someday will sit in judgment of angels. And so there is, there is a connection between what's happening in the physical and what's happening in the spiritual. So we have these three things to note here. We see, we see it's the only time that authority is used and it's used in relation to what's happening up here. What, what is the symbol? What is, what is the, the sign that uh, a woman in worship is giving off has to do with that? Now, we can't say, well, women have extra power when they do this. Because if we say women have extra power when they do this, well, he, he never said, well, what about the men? Are men left out? We don't get any power? 
for doing this? So, so that seems to be an, an irrational thing. If you'll follow some of the translations that we were reading, they kept talking about, and I think it's interesting that um, the ESV says, this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. He says, for this cause. So in verse 10, he's, he's, he's using verse 10 to sort of go back and say, this is why... For this cause, the woman ought the woman to have power on her head or that authority or that sign of authority, that significance because of the angels. He's talking about our roles as male and female here. And the woman, the inference is that she needs to be displaying the right sign with her head. It's not saying, I don't believe that it is saying that God is giving women extra power or extra superpowers because she is doing something, whatever the text here. She's not letting her hair be cut, so therefore the woman has extra superpowers. Thank you for one amen in here tonight. That's the only one I got. Praise God. Now, some people think, well, I never thought that in the first place. Well, there are actually people that do think that, and they take from the Scripture that women have extra power on their head because of the angels and they create this doctrine that is not substantiated anywhere else in Scripture. This isn't even the point of this text. And they say that when women don't cut their hair, women have some kind of spiritual power with the angels that they can command angels. And it's taken so far that I've heard of people in churches where they'll take women come and take their hair down and they'll lay their hair over people that are sick. That is, and, and I want to say this because I think sometimes good people can get caught up and wrapped up in these things. So if that's been you, I'm not, I'm not here to bash you. I'm here to help you. That is more akin to witchcraft than it is coming into public worship, worshiping God in a created honor of being in submission to the role that he put in our life. So that is akin to mysticism and witchcraft. And we must always guard against that. So, so um, we got to be careful. We're really good at saying, don't take any part of scripture and throw it away. But we got to be careful that we don't add to yeah. because the same curse that is on the person that takes away from is on the person that adds to the word of God. Yeah. And so that's not, it's, it's an odd placement. If God is talking about this biblical headship and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden God says, Oh, and by the way, I'm giving the women extra superpowers when they do this. Well, so what about the man? The man doesn't have any power when he honors God by this? No, 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 no. This is individual. You, you, either, you either are in biblical submission or you're not in biblical submission, whether you're a male or a female. Amen. Men don't get a pass. And that's what's happened on occasion where men get a pass. And so anyways, is that all right tonight? Yes. Angels are significant here. Now, for us, we, we come into the church and we don't, we don't see angels, you know. Now, we know we entertain angels unaware. I know I'm married to an angel. Um, but, but we don't see angels. Uh, but that would not have been the case with the, the, the Jewish people. They were understanding of angels and angelic presence. So much so that even in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant on the seat of the, above the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat. What covered the mercy seat? Angels, cherubim, and there their wings were over the mercy seat. And their, the tip of their wings came forward together and it touched. There were angels that were there. Solomon would redo the temple. Zerubbabel would redo the temple. And there, um, 
were symbols grafted into that, the veil and the tapestries there, these massive cherubims there. It was a visible thing that they were aware of. The priesthood would have been aware of, of angels there. So when you're worshiping God, I'm not just worshiping God down here, but there was a heavenly spiritual significance that was taking place. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about in your public worship. And, and to re- recap here, we are male and female, and we have, to, we have to deal with one another. And I don't treat a, I, I, I'm not as casual with a lady as I am a man, as a gentleman. There's, there's, there's proper etiquette here. There are roles. There's distinctions and respect here in the way that we would worship. And so this was so important that we do not offend that especially in Corinth, where immorality was so rampant. When you came to the church, this was a holy house, a house of of, of worship. We ought to treat one another uh, with reverence and respect and holiness. And we don't, we don't, uh, 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 men and women, um, Y'all, y'all not be coming to church flirting with the opposite sex. Amen. This is, a, and, and there's nobody in here that's doing that, praise God. I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out. If, if that was for you, that just came out of my mouth. If that was for you, count it from God. That wasn't for me. But what I'm saying is, in their culture, they would go to temples. It was all immoral. It was all idolatry. It was all sexuality. It was all, you know, pr- promiscuity. It was all, you know, all that. But when you come to the house of worship... No, we're honoring God, we're worshiping God, and we're loving one another. And, and, and that, that, was, that was why they called one another brothers and sisters. I'm going to treat you as a brother and a sister. I'm not seeing you as uh, 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 an object of, of sexuality, which is what our world has done, our culture has done today. But we are here to worship the Lord. And uh, you're not less than, but we're, we're different and distinct. But So we worship God and we honor God together. So um, in verse 10, here it is saying, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, or that authority on her head, or that symbol on her head, because of the angels. Carry that role of submission. Don't let your flesh be trying to glory in the presence of God and think that it's going to work in the spiritual realm. What are, what are angels? Angels are God's messengers. They are God's agents. When they were, when they were expelled out of the Garden of Eden, God put two, two cherubs. There's the angels. They're guarding it. When God brought Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent two angels to bring them out. Okay, these, these are, you, want, you want God to be at work in your life? You want the agents of God to be at work in your life? Then you better not be rebelling against the created order that God put you in. This is, this is what it's saying. I, I, don't believe, I don't believe there's an extra superpower. No, God is saying, look, you, there's going to be, there, don't expect things to work out in the spiritual realm of your life when you can't even get the main things right in your life. Is that that good? Is that that all right? Do we understand? I can can receive that. I understand that. So if I'm coming in and I'm, I'm messing with, you know, just who I even am in the Lord, created by God, don't expect the spiritual things to work out. Now, can God fill anyone with the Holy Ghost. Absolutely, he can fill anyone with the Holy Ghost. But don't go back to living your life of sin and expect that to work out. Yeah. I, I, and I'm going to tell you, I've seen, I've seen what sin does to people. I, I tell you, my heart grieves for people that are trapped. I, I, had, a, I had a dear friend that succumbed to the lifestyle of homosexuality and he, he fought it for years and I'll never forget him running from God and what it did for him coming back to the altar and he prayed through one night man it was a powerful service power of God moved on him 
And this is crazy because we had been in we had we had been in all night prayer meetings as as kids in the youth group, and I'd seen the power of God move on him. But he he ran out. He came and he prayed through. God got a hold of him that night, man, just blessed him with the Holy Ghost, just power of God hit him in such a mighty, visible way. And this wasn't one of these just quick encounters, but lingering move of God in his life. And that week, he said, you've got, he began to talk about the what, no, what the world doesn't show you, what the world doesn't tell you, the horribleness of that. Now, I know there's children in here, and I don't want to be too candid, but I'm going to tell you, when sin has used you up, yeah, yeah. and you're washed up sitting at the bar looking around who you can go home with, and you walk out of there feeling this this is not this is not some kind of made up thing this is this is the reality and the world paints it as oh look at this pleasure and they're gay and they're happy and they're all no no they're not sin how, how many remember when you were in sin how bad it was how when you're without god what it does in your heart the longing i'm going to tell you when sin wrecks a life there is a the last thing that some of these people need is a ball bat to their head uh they need the love of god they need to know that there is hope because they have fallen prey to the lie of the enemy and in that moment he began to speak about where it was, he began to talk about things I couldn't even comprehend, like just being at that place. And he talked about how it was such a stronghold on him, like crying out for help in that moment of sanity after he prayed through, talking about what God, you've got to deliver me from this, you've got to get me from this, and whatever. And sin has had his way. He came, he, he, he went back to the same thing. He came back again. I watched the power of God, the grace, the goodness of God fall on him again. And he went right back to that life. I don't, I don't know where he's at today. I don't know what's where, where sin has taken him to that today. How many people are out there lost? What I'm here to tell you, this is what it, don't expect things to work out in the spiritual when you don't have the physical things in order. And you're not submitted to that. And this is what I believe Paul is saying. There's power on her head because of the angels. You put you put this symbol, whatever you represent, this is gonna make this is going to make a man a difference. So uh, I want you to highlight in verse 10, highlight the word ought. That word right there lets us know that this is not an optional thing, but this is a necessity. So whatever this verse is saying, it's telling us that we ought to do this. We must do this. This is not an option because of the angels. So we're going to sit in judgment of angels. Well, you can't, you can't live out of order in this life and then expect to sit in judgment of someone else who's living out of order. You've got to get your life in order. So... What it may mean, I think what it may mean is it means it's talking about having this symbol of authority on your head. This is important because of what you represent. And when somebody asks you why, maybe it is countercultural. Maybe it was in that day in a certain extent. Why do you do this? Well, let me tell you why. Don't, don't just answer. Why, why, do you, why do you have short hair, men? Why do you have long hair, women? Well, don't just say, well, this is what my pastor preaches. Or this is what my pastor teaches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that may or may not be true, but that's not a right answer. I am doing this because I am representing what God has created me. It's the way that I worship God. And so I'm worshiping the Lord. And when, when as a woman, you allow, you say, look, I'm going to allow my hair to grow to its natural length to honor God because God created me this way. And I'm worshiping God because God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. Right. And so I worship God as he created me. I'm a man. I'm going to worship God as a man. I'm not going to take on the form of a woman. No, I don't want to take any anything effeminate on my life. I'm going to be representative of that. Now I'm losing my hair as I get older, so it is getting easier and easier <laughs> as the days go by. All right? But, but making this attempt to worship God as a male or a female not only in public, but before all human beings. So um, 
Let me read here right out of the Premier Study Bible. And I brought this up here because I want to read to you here this highlight um, on verse 10, the commentary here. It says, Paul here again connects believers to things heavenly, showing that the believing woman's compliance in this rather simple matter of her uncut hair transcends practical issues. However, this should not be totally unexpected as the entire discourse began with discussion of universal order and the lofty and sacred alignment of man and woman in this order with God himself. This discussion also made it clear that everything has meaning in the life of the believer, whether of the body, soul, or spirit, and whether of action or appearance. This reiterates to the believing woman that one's whole person, that is body, soul, and spirit, are holy unto the Lord and are vessels upon which rest and out of which flow divine glory. Treatment of every aspect of individuality thus takes on sacred significance. She is at all times the temple of God. I thought that was well stated. I thought that was well stated on that. I've already covered verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 last week, and we talked about this. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory for her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if a man have long hair, it's a shame, as he had already stated. And then in verse 16, he says, But if any seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What's he saying here? Well, in verse 16, but if any seem to be contentious, he's talking about any, if there be any strife lovers, anyone that just loves a fight, if any seem to be contentious, he said, we have no such custom. When he uses that word, some people say, well, see, there it is. It's just a custom. We don't have to pay attention to it. No, he is not talking or dismissing the entire passage that he gave as a local custom which would mean it was just a, I just wasted your time. Yeah. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here is that the other churches, when he says we have no such custom, neither the churches of God, what he's saying is if there is a someone that loves a fight, they stand alone because the other churches have no such undesirable attitudes. They don't, they don't have this attitude. Amen. If anybody seemed contentious, we have no such custom. This is not how church. This is not how church operates. Amen. I think it ought to be a local church custom that we don't have undesirable attitudes. Amen. That's a good church custom. You want a good custom? We don't fight, and when we fight, well, we fight fair. We don't. We don't fight to destroy one another. We contend for the faith to find out what is true. To see, hey, now there might be times where we have to have some discussions. And those discussions sometimes might get a little heated. But it ought to be our intent to do what's right. <laughs> and to love God and to love the body of Christ. Not fighting out of pride. And out of our angers and out of our strife loving. How many, how many know some people just, they're not going to be happy until there's a fight. That's what Paul's saying. Don't let this be you. Don't let this be in, in, in your church. So the takeaway is the strife lover stands alone. Amen here. Now there's some common objections to this passage of scripture as we've talked about for the last one is that it is strictly a cultural issue. Well, Paul negates that by referring to nature. Another one is, well, this just applies to the Corinthian church at the time. Well, Paul says, no, this is the same at all the churches which were Jewish or Gentile, and all over in many different cultures and countries at that time. Well, the other would say this is just talking about head coverings, but Paul lets us know that it's not the covering only, but it is that natural covering of the hair that Paul talks about. Others would ask the question, well, how long is long? Long is relative. It is true. It's a relative term. But the issue is not the length or the measure because you can't dictate the length of the hair growth. But Paul says, no, it's whether or not you leave it at the natural length or whether you're amending what God has given to you naturally. We take that as to be cut or uncut. Others say this is only addressing between men, um, uh, men and women that are married. Well, 
the order and the divine order. Yes, he's talking about marriage. Yes, he's talking about men and women's relationship with one another. Yes, he is talking in that, but the application was to all men and all women, whether we are, whether or not we are married, we were created with the, the uh, uh, provision to be married. He had already established that in text before. And true, he may be addressing the role that is played out in marriage and procreation, but all women are admonished here to leave their hair as a natural length, as a sign of their covenant unto the Lord. Amen. And in Old Testament times, the woman with uncut hair would represent that she was married, that she was spoken for, and that she was taken. So she was not sexually available, if you will. In Jeremiah 3 and 8, he said, And I saw for when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her an bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. A couple chapters later in chapter 7 and verse 29, then... God tells, he tells Judah, he said, look, I divorced Israel, but you've done worse than them. And then just four chapters later, he looks at them as giving them a sign. He said, cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away. Take up a lamentation on the high place, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. God was divorcing them. And the sign of divorce in that time was they would cut their hair away. We are in covenant with the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. And so there's significance at Other objections would say, well, Samson had long hair. This is true. But the point of the Nazarite vow was one that would bring notable humility by doing something not normal in the extreme of not cutting their hair. And it was an exception, not the rule. It would be a bother and get in the way. Thus, Samson put his hair in seven locks. This was a vow that was initiated by the Spirit of the Lord, not a command for other men to follow. And so that was an exception that God had put in the Old Testament, not a rule. And Paul here in this passage is applying to our divine created order of how we worship God. And this comes down to our gender distinctives our gender distinctives in worship to God. It is no accident, and I close with this, it is no accident that one of the number one things under attack today is this, this gender distinctives. The absurdity of what's being promoted and pushed. And it's crazy how humankind is just tapping into this and we're just we're just going along in corporations and industry doesn't even make sense and we haven't even followed this all the way through where is this going to lead us what civilization in the history of humanity has adopted this practice that is still standing today look at what happened to rome look at what happened to greece Look at what happened to these other civilizations. This self-destructs. This does not stand. When we stand up and speak, amen, absolutes, male and female, we're not doing so in hate. We're doing it out of love because God is trying to preserve you and sin is trying to destroy you. Amen. And so we do this out of love. This is our witness. Amen. And I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. Stand together with me tonight. Amen.